Welcome to Words in Living Color. On this podcast, I take a look at adaptations of children's and young adult literature with the help of children's book enthusiasts. Hi, everyone. My name is Caitlin. I have my great friend Shanley with me today, and we're going to talk about El Enchanted. So, hello, hello Shanley. <laughs> Can you give us a little bit of information about yourself, maybe why you love children's literature or why children's literature is an interest of yours? Just sort of explain your introduction mm. into children's literature and why you love it so much. And then we'll move right on to our discussion of El Enchanted. So take it away, Shanley. As you said, I am also a Master of Arts in Children's Literature student. I'm supposedly writing my thesis at the moment, but that's yeah, not, not as important. I worked as a children's bookseller for seven years at a independent bookstore, actually the largest independent bookstore in Canada, apparently. And that's sort of, I've always been loved children's literature you know ever since I was a child I just happened to read much more of it now and working as a children's bookseller kind of shifted all my interest academically in that direction I originally started going to school to get a degree in psychology in particular developmental psych and my interests in literature had never really stopped they I just like put them on hold and then I sort of rediscovered them working with kids working with teachers working with parents and realized that as much as I still love developmental psych and I do and there's definitely a tie between developmental psychology and children's literature I just I really wanted to study children's lit and in particular I hope to actually work in children's publishing one day at the moment I'm just really really happy to study this stuff at an academic level again and really get my hands into it it's it's been great it's awesome because we get to talk about children's literature in sort of a relaxed but also interesting and in-depth way through talking about El Enchanted, which yeah. is one that we've both read probably multiple times at this point in Ooh, our lives yes. and we've loved. And then, of course, we have a little bit different uh, opinions about the adaptation. Oh, but we'll get to that. Let's dive into the book. So the book was published in 1997 by mm-hmm. Gail Carson Levine, who's done several other books related in the type of book, sort of a historical fiction fantasy type thing for elementary and middle grade. Mm-hmm. I actually am going to let you do a synopsis for us. Oh, yeah, of course. Ella Enchanted is a Cinderella retelling where the main character, Ella, is cursed with the gift of obedience by a well-meaning but slightly disturbed fairy, a fairy named Lucinda. So Ella has to do everything that everyone tells her to do as long as it's in order. Like, she's always constantly fighting against this curse. Like, it, it can be in, like, you know, hilarious ways where someone will be like, bring me almonds and she'll bring them too, something like that. And she tries to find her independence while still trying to fight a curse that rips that away from her completely. Her mother orders her not to tell anyone about the curse. Then when she's about 15 years old, her mother and Ella actually both become very sick. But Ella gets better and her mother sadly does not. And that sort of starts Ella on her journey because she misses her mother. She doesn't know what to do without her. And it's also where she first meets Prince Charmant. And so Ella meets the people that are going to be her stepfamily, Dame Olga as her stepmother, her stepsisters Hattie and Olive, and they're monstrous, horrible people, pretty much, who Hattie figures out Ella's curse quite quickly and immediately takes advantage of it. And so as Ella sort of goes forward trying to figure out how to break the curse, how to sort of gain some independence, gain some agency, she goes to finishing school and then runs away from finishing school. She befriends elves. She almost gets eaten by ogres 
orders, but then uses their own magic against them because she's brilliant and smart. She starts to get to know the prince a bit more. She grows up. And then the events that everyone knows of Cinderella start to take place. She becomes a servant in her own house. And then a ball shows up and she goes there to see this prince. And the prince comes running after her with her glass slipper. That's the moment where she actually breaks the curse and marries the prince. And it's wonderful and beautiful and lovely. So it sort of follows the Cinderella story and tries to actually explain how things happen and why things are the way they are without sort of just saying that the Cinderella character was a doormat, essentially. That it tries to get a real story behind it, like, you know, quote unquote, real story. Why did this girl just do everything her stepfamily told her to do? And Gail Carson Levine just sort of like runs with that. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, Ella resolves herself to try to convince Lucinda, the fairy that cursed her in the first place to take back the gift that she gave her and it ultimately fails in terms of getting Lucinda to do it but by the end of the story we see that she uses her own will and power to overcome that obstacle and overcome the gift and she ends up breaking it and becoming free-willed again. Favorite part that part in my book is just totally weather-worn. I've read that part so many times. It's so powerful and <laughs> the fact that the main reason she is trying to break the curse is because she cares so much about Prince Char and they've grown up together. They've known each other for a long time and they end up falling in love with each other but she knows that if she marries him she's a liability. She's gonna be the person who's gonna be sort of influenced and told to kill him in whatever way she's told to do it because she's obedient she can't help it and so she does everything in her power to try to not marry him when he asks her because she's being forced to do it rather than being asked to do it and so yeah but by, by both him and her wicked step family which like, like she doesn't understand oh jubilantly yeah. like marry me and her family's like yeah marry him and she's like nope 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 it's such a powerful moment and so that's one of the driving points of the whole book that i found so compelling in the mm -hmm. fact that she's a young character but she's still fighting the lack of free will that she's wanted her whole life up to this point and the one thing she actually wants to obey she fights against yeah. and and disobeys the order she was given in order to be able to answer it the way she wants rather than being told you need to answer this way even though that's what she <laughs> wants in the first place just such a powerful moment and we'll discuss the differences in the mm -hmm. movie soon of course but yeah so that's one of my favorite moments as well and for me i loved the book because it did like you said follow the cinderella story it really followed the fact that she grew up being sort of a slave in a sense in one way and then growing up and becoming a slave in a different way in a very normal way in the fact that she was serving her step family and the fact that she's able to move away from that and find love in the end and overcome all the obstacles she had and that's exactly what Cinderella is. And even Gil Carson Levine adds in the uh, glass shoe element, which yeah. is always nice because it, it gives a little bit more of a firm foundation uh, in the original fairy tale. So yeah, that was nice. Fun fact about my first time reading this when I was, I must have been like nine, 10. It immediately became one of my favorite stories ever, but I didn't even realize it was a Cinderella retelling until we got to like the second ball. Because in one of the versions of Cinderella, there's three balls she goes to instead of just one. And it wasn't until I was reading the second one, I was like, well, wow, this is like yeah. a Cinderella. Oh God, it's Cinderella. Oh, wait. <laughs> Exactly. Like, I was nine or ten, and I did, like the glass slipper was there. The fairy godmother was there. I didn't put any of those pieces together until we were right at the end, and I was like, "Well, okay." 
Well, and that's the great thing is that she was able to really start the story off as if it was just some brand new story about a new person yeah. that was similar to all these others, but it wasn't a cookie cutter version of Cinderella. It was able to veer away from it enough that it felt like a new story. Retellings that are made now, or even just that were made after Ella Enchanted, they, they always do that. Like, you know exactly what you're going into when you start it. You know, this is the story of what really happened kind of a thing. And Ella Enchanted doesn't do that. It's sort of fairy tale inspired, but you know, we'll see. And then as those elements start to come together and the Cinderella story starts to form and you see how it formed, that's, that's a very good point. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, it's really neat. And your point of how you came to realize it was related to Cinderella near the end sort of gave me that idea and gave me that opinion of how that worked. Mm. So thank you. Hey, no <laughs> problem. <laughs> I also loved the interesting way that Gail Carson Levine was able to sort of create a, and this is not necessarily plot oriented yeah. or character driven, but the idea that there's so many languages that are in this world. Yes. She had so many different voices. And I listened to the audiobook mm. and read the book version. And the audiobook was really interesting because the narrator did such a good job at all of these really foreign and made up languages. And I was very impressed because like, I looked at the book version. And I was like, I don't know how I would pronounce that. <laughs> so good job. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. I've, I've never listened to was... the audiobook. I, I thought of like, how the hell do they actually pronounce any of the ogrees or the aorthian and like like some of the words end with capital letters well what does that mean i yes. don't know oh god um, that'd be so cool so, to listen to so inventive so interesting mm. and it was really well done interesting side note on an alternative adaptation is the fact that audiobooks essentially are adaptations yes. in themselves because there's an actor portraying the text that gail carson ravine originally wrote and so it's an adaptation itself but the adaptation is read by i looked this up earlier to find out the narrator is actually a woman who was 19 at the time when she recorded it but her voice sounds very young oh. and so it was interesting because I was like wow this sounds like a 12 year old kid reading this this is so weird and Ella's character is actually 15 when her mother dies she does say she's about like 14 oh yeah when I was almost 15 mother and I caught a cold so yeah there is a massive timeline shift the ending is just trying to give the readers a sense of how their happy ever after happens. It's an epilogue without specifically stating it's an epilogue. <laughs> it sort of melds yeah, from yeah. the end of the story that's being told to many years later kind of thing without explicitly saying so. So that's nice. Yeah. That's nice to know. The timeline and the way that the story develops with Ellen and Char and the fact that they actually don't really spend a lot of time in person together and it's all mm. via letters because he's away doing his royal duty as king of Frel and going to Aortha and being part of that kingdom. Early age texting. All that. Yeah, pretty much. So that was interesting. Yeah. And a lot of the choices that Ella makes feel a lot more mature than even, even 15 or 16 or whatever right. age she is at. Like pretty much admitting that she's married some old guy and she's going <laughs> off to marry him and that she's wealthy and that's all she wanted. And she's doing that specifically so she saves Char from being murdered by her own hand because she's been ordered to and all of that yeah. just is so, so noble of her and such a strong thing for her to do and such a hard thing for her to do as well yeah um, that gutted that, me yeah. when i was a kid and i was just like no oh my god you sure you're so wonderful also the fact that can we just like quickly mention that gil carson levine named him prince charmont char like such a perfect yep. name for like the prince charming so I well know, done and you just non-stop honestly... kudos snaps all around 
love it exactly. to this day love it and honestly I think you mentioning that is the first time I actually got that oh no so thank you <laughs> oh you are so welcome I mean Ella is pretty straightforward yeah. and they call her Cinder at some point which side note Cinder by Marissa Myers <laughs> another Cinderella retelling if you want to oh read there are it. so it's many awesome. there are so many so oh, very so many so great and we might discuss another Cinderella retelling in our adaptation section mm. momentarily, which you will know exactly what we're going to talk about mm. when we get there. So overall, I absolutely loved the book. I think it's such an empowering book for young girls specifically, but young kids in general. Just the fact that you can overcome anything that you need to have positivity, but that caring for others is such a positive thing for your life and for who you become mm-hmm. and all of that. She just created such a great role model and a great character for the age group that she's intending this book to be read by and so it was quite wonderful oh completely agree it's been one of my favorites ever since i read it that first time when i was like nine or ten and on this read too i've noticed so much more because i've Mm -hmm. I've reread the book many many times since that first time i read it but this time when i was reading it so that we could discuss it here there's so many other things that i noticed and there is a level of dignity and sophistication almost to this world that she's created like as you said earlier with the different languages and just the different kinds of races of beings there are from like ogres and elves and fairies and humans centaurs like she she touches upon almost every single fairy tale or fantasy convention you could think of and makes it seem plausible exactly it just seems a natural part of the world and it doesn't feel abnormal it doesn't feel like it's fantasy in the fact that it's so normal to her, mm-hmm. which is such a great thing. Yeah. And, and a thing for me that, you know, I, I say this as an adult reader, me reading a lot of middle grade now, but there tends to be this, this way of writing down or talking down to an audience for a lot of adult writers. And she doesn't do that here. She really sort of understands who her reader is and sort of just respects them. Because like, I'm talking about books, I'm not going to name names, but there are certain middle grade books I've read that, you know, everything ends in an exclamation point because everything is so exciting and wasn't this amazing. And Ellen Chanted doesn't really have a lot of that. It has some because it is a middle grade, but it doesn't talk down to the reader, which, no, not which I noticed even when I was a kid. It doesn't talk down to you. Well, and it's great because in addition to not talking down, it's giving real perspectives and real mm-hmm. worries and real questions that kids at that age would have about life and about situations and about choices that have to be made. And so it's such an easy thing to relate to because kids of all ages, including adults, even we have choices we have to Mm -hmm. make and Ella questions those within her own situation. But for us, we have to think of that too. And and for her to get to chance to sort of think through that via her letters or Mm -hmm. via her her narrative is really cool and it's a story almost entirely populated by ladies ladies good ladies bad Uh, ladies all around exactly there's very few men and the men that are in there are very varied, Mm -hmm. which is nice it gives us a sense that not all the men are going to be exactly the same which is great because that's not real life so it is very female dominated which i mean it helps because for a good chunk of the first part of the book she's gone to finishing school and that's of course all dominated by women but a lot of the other characters that she's influenced by or that she goes to for advice or that she needs help from are all women. yeah so yeah it's good point very much a feminist book reading through it again like people can argue that cinderella itself isn't a feminist fairy tale because people seem to have the idea that she just goes to a for a man and i mean that's a conversation for another day but this is not really about that like ella doesn't even realize or, or doesn't even you know pursue char through all of her letters and getting to know him 
for a romantic interest. She just likes him as a person. And then she's kind of slowly falls in love with him. And then it's, in the end, she's the one who has to think about the larger thing. She's the one who has to find the power inside of her to break her curse. She's the one who has to save the king because no one else can. It's her. It's all hinged on her. And it's such such a good book. I'm just (laughs) gushing right now. It's totally fine. I mean, part of discussing adaptations is falling in love with the book that you enjoyed in the first place and getting to share all of the positive things that engaged you with the book and then getting to either compare that positively with an adaptation done and a different perspective done by somebody else or get to criticize it because you had a different image in Mm. your mind or there are so many things you loved about the original source that when you look at the adaptation you appreciate the book even more because of all the things you loved about it so that's a good point it's always good to contrast it that directly, which is what we have a <laughs> chance to do today. So I think this is a good segue to move into the adaptation. Uh-huh. So the movie, El Enchanted, was done in 2004, and it had Anne Hathaway, which is already a good premonition for the movie, because I, I oh, like yeah, her as an actress. And... It's from the Princess Diaries fame, you know, jumping from Princess Mia to Ella, logical. Exactly. There. there are similar in certain ways, those two characters, but we're not talking about Princess Diaries, but in the sense that Anne Hathaway is portraying a character that is similar to what Ella represents in the book anyway. She's held back in certain ways, but it doesn't stop her from doing things she wants to do. So Ella in the book is always fighting against her curse, is always trying to not follow what she's ordered to do right away or try to fight it every chance she gets, even if it's something simple or easy or something she doesn't need to necessarily fight against, she tries. And in the movie, Anne Hathaway portrays Ella in that same way. She has strong values, she has strong opinions, Mm -hmm. and she fights for those things as well as fights against her curse. And so I think that was one of the strong points of the adaptation was it it showed that positively i will give you that i mean that's essentially one of the main things i really found compelling from the adaptation i think they did a good job at showing ella's spirit and ella's fortitude against the curse and four things she cared about yeah no yeah i would agree with you on that one and cut for all the positive things now now let's get into this now let's get into the (laughs) nitty-gritty of why this adaptation was so far away from what we expected from the book okay another positive thing let's let's jump back is hugh dancy is char yes yeah oh no for sure yes oh yeah like the, the people they cast just visually for char and ella Perfection. Absolutely. I remember uh, from the book, like they kept talking about his curly hair and then Hugh Dancy is pretty much walking curly haired perfection. So yes, please. Hugh Dancy was an excellent choice for Char and, and Anne Hathaway did a great job. Mm. So they were both perfect. Mandy was Minnie Driver. Yeah. And I love Minnie Driver. She's far Mandy too young. She's supposed to be like an oldish looking woman. I imagine someone like in her 50s, very much a motherly correct. figure. And yeah, Minnie I think- Driver is many things, not a motherly figure. Not in this role. Correct. I think they aged her down in the fact that in the book, at least, Lucinda is supposed to look like a young fairy. And then when she comes and is distraught and all that, she's an old woman. She loses her pretty and youthful appearance because she's transforming into what she truly is because of the realization that all of her gifts are well, She's a horrible fairy. So I think they tried to keep Minnie Driver that youthful fairy, just like Lucinda was going to be. Vivica A. Fox is that. <laughs> she did all right. She's sort of full of... Uh, she's she's full of Vivica sass. A. Fox. But I, uh, I think it was maybe less of a creative 
choice to cast Mini Driver and more just like, hey, let's get another celeb in here? I think so. You know, before we go forward, did you like the movie? It's a guilty pleasure. Okay. I'm just going to say that. It's a guilty pleasure. I think the addition of music was actually kind of brilliant because it was just fun. This is a side note. My master's thesis was on how transforming young female characters through song is so freaking powerful. Hmm. So the fact that Ella got a chance to sing a couple of songs that sort of showed who she wanted to be was, I think, a good choice. But that was essentially it. And the songs are just fun. I mean, they're classics. So it was more of a review. And there weren't any original songs. But they were songs that fit within the moment they were trying to show. Yeah, it was, it was like a jukebox musical. Exactly. Review, jukebox, yeah, yeah, similar yeah. things. So I liked what they did with it because they were making it work within the scenes. And I, of course, I love music and musicals. But music and character and actor choices aside the plot they just completely screwed over they had no idea what they were doing so i'm gonna take the other perspective of this and just say it was a big old mess it's not another perspective it's my perspective as well but again it's a guilty pleasure because i know it's a mess but i still like watching it fair point fair (laughs) point i remember it was a letdown for younger me again one of those first moments where i was like watching a movie and i realized I don't like this. And, you know, when you're a kid, you generally like everything you see because you don't really have discerning taste or palate or anything like that. And that was an Ellen Enchanted, the movie adaptation was one of those where I was just like, I don't enjoy this at all. It was a a moment of awakening, which I've embraced and I love, but still. (laughs) I agree with you. I think they had so many ways to make it so close to the book and they just didn't. They just pretty much threw it away. It was a based on adaptation. For those who haven't seen the movie or want to understand how the plot is very different, let me give you a synopsis of the movie version of Ella Enchanted, and then you'll get a sense of why it's so different. So Ella is now already in her mid-teens. We don't, we see a little bit of her young self uh, when her mom dies. She's actually much younger than what she was in the book when her mom dies. And then she grows up, she's Anne Hathaway, who's much older than she's probably portraying mm-hmm. as per usual of Hollywood. She's fighting the curse. She's she's already with her step. Well, no, she's not with her step family quite yet. But her dad's actually really loving, which she's, he's not in the book. So I appreciate that little aspect. But she's not at finishing school. She's at a university. Her friend Arita is awesome. I love the actress. I can't think of her name at the moment. She did a great job. Arita and her are pro everything that the kingdom is not. So they're pretty much activists in their own right, which is another positive little change for the movie, Mm -hmm. uh, in my opinion. Makes sense for the Ella character, for sure. So she's fighting in one way and then also fighting her curse. Her father ends up marrying the step family because of wealth and money and they need it. She has her stepsisters who are awful, Olive and Hattie. Hattie, she figures out that Ella needs to obey everything she says, which is true in the book as well. She pretty much continues to do that. Ella meets Char by chance because she's trying to escape the mob of people who are recruiting him and he's trying to escape all of his adoring fans and they end up kind of hating each other but kind of liking each other at the same time anyway char's family doesn't actually exist both his parents are dead he's being raised by his uncle who's played by carrie elwes who's awesome Mm. he's an evil uncle he has this weird snake for whatever reason (laughs) nice cgi snake so he's creepy he's trying to steal char's crown so essentially he's trying to kill him so that he can take over the kingdom ella is on a quest to try to find lucinda just like the book she meets an elf named slannon who's part of this musical elf group slannon is not really a big role in the book 
he's in the book, but he's not a big role in the book. Mm. He ends up following her all the way to the giant's wedding to try to find Lucinda, which again is similar in the book. But then she sings and Char's there. And and then she finds Lucinda. Lucinda won't change her back. Char offers to go find her in the Hall of Records at the Kingdom. So she goes with him. They pretty much are falling in love at that point. But then the uncle discovers that Ella's getting close. He finds her, finds out that she's obedient from Hattie, then forces her to kill Char. Char takes her to try to propose marriage. She's ordered to kill him, but she fights it. That's how she breaks the spell, which is a similar motive for why she breaks it, but it's better in the book. And I have major thoughts on that scene as well, which we'll get to. (laughs) And then it all resolves with her being able to spot the uncle, say that he's the one that caused the problems in the first place. She broke the spell, but it was too late because he found the knife. But then she's able to show Char that, oh, your uncle's the one that's trying to kill you. And then the uncle puts the crown that he's poisoned on his own head and then he dies and, you know, comically, but awfully. And then they, of course, end with a dance number because why not? Oh, and man. Andy has a book boyfriend, which who knows why. <laughs> and end scene. Very long. Very nice. Very nice. Applause all around. Awful adaptation plot. But the connection between the premise of the movie and the premise of the book is that Ella is cursed with obedience. And then that is sort of the fork in the road because where the book is very clearly a Cinderella adaptation. The movie is not, not even kind no. of, it doesn't, it doesn't even, like, there seems to be references to fairy tales, but it's not at all a Cinderella retelling. They don't even mention anything about that beyond the fact that her name is Ella and his name is Char, and that's it. It was almost a parody of Ellen Chanted. I don't, I don't even know if that's accurate. It's just weird. It, it seemed um, almost like they were trying to do, like, a teen movie, but, like, a family-friendly teen movie, because, like, all of the conventions of crappy teen movie are there. You know, yes. like enemies to friends, friends to lovers kind of a thing between Ella and Char. They have that a ridiculous scene where he gets injured, so he has to take off his shirt, so she has to bandage his arm. And I'm like, good lord. Oh. I actually just groaned out loud at like midnight here when I was rewatching it. I was just like, oh god. Well, this whole book is narrated by Ella. The whole mm. story within the movie is narrated by Eric Idle, of all people. Uh, Who, you know, great. wonderful, yeah, but odd and, choice. And he narrates in rhyme. It feels like it's supposed to be for an older audience, but also a younger audience, but not really for any particular audience. Well, I mean, I know a lot of movies that are generally aimed at children do need to have some things in there for the adult watching it with them as well. Oh, absolutely. So that must have been, like, sort of where that came from. The things I loved so much about the book are just not present at all. Like, Lucinda doesn't learn from herself. She doesn't learn that what she's actually doing is cursing people to these awful fates. She doesn't learn that in the movie. Vivica A. Fox, you know, doesn't really do anything except show up and, like, go get your man and peace out. I don't care if you actually end up killing him. She doesn't learn, and that was a huge part of the book, is that she was giving all these gifts, and then finally Mandy convinces her to try some of these gifts out and see how it feels and whether it actually is a gift or it's a curse like everyone thinks it is and she comes back and she's like you know what being obedient was the worst thing ever Mm -hmm. like I can't believe I gave you that and then when Char and Ella get married then she gives them an awesome gift and it's actually a physical gift rather than something that's bestowed on a person and it was great so it was such a change for her character and she went back to the typical fairy that 
Mandy was and that all the other fairies were. And so she reversed herself to a positive character rather than the negative one that we see her in the beginning. So the change of the villain is really interesting. And I think that's really a cool message and a cool thing too. So it's frustrating that they chose not to relay that into the movie as Mm -hmm. well. And you're right. She pretty much is like, oh, you've changed yourself up. Here, let me set you free. No, I'm about to do something horrible. Well, you're going to go find your prince. It's okay. There's so many elements that were just completely lost in translation. And I I know I I read an interview with Anne Hathaway where she said that there was initially a script that was much closer to the book, but she actually prefers this one because a straight book adaptation would have been really, really hard, which I don't think that's actually true. I mean, I'm with you. I think Drew Barrymore's Ever After. Okay, this is Perfect. the other adaptation that I feel like we need to discuss because it relates to Cinderella, it relates to Enchanted mm-hmm. in various ways. So we're going to spend a little time talking about the 1998 film adaptation Ever After. Because oh, so happy why to. not? If we're going to talk about Cinderella adaptations and Ella Chanted being a really good one and a unique one and an interesting one that moves away from it but comes back to it in the ways that people can find memorable, whereas Ellen Enchanted the movie does not. Mm-hmm. Ever After, as a movie adaptation of Cinderella itself, is wonderful. Oh, it's so good. It's so oh beautiful. Gosh. It's so wonderful. It's got Angelica Houston. Another thing I could just gush about. Oh, I love yes. Ever After. Drew Barrymore. Drew Gray Scott. So the wonderful thing I thought was that Ever After was set in a time period that would actually be reasonable and would work for the time period that Cinderella might have taken place. Oh, for sure. Which I really appreciate. Well, and I love historical fiction. So for me, that was a huge draw. The cool thing about Ever After, it was it didn't involve magic but it involved similar elements of magic in the fact that science can be sort of magical in the way that it is informational and it's interesting. And they got to throw, you know, Leonardo da Vinci in there because Leonardo da Vinci as your fairy godmother. I mean, how cool is that? That's great. It's, it's so weird and kind of, kooky but delightfully so and i'm definitely here for it if i'm gonna watch any cinderella adaptation in any any format it's gonna be ever after correct and then i would also say i mean there's obviously more similarities between ever after and ella enchanted than the movie adaptation and it seemed to take i think a lot of cues from this one with ella being an activist. I mean, that's pretty much Drew Barrymore's <laughs> Danielle in this one as well, where she sort of calls oh, out Prince Henry for not caring about his country, not caring about being king one day. She's like, you're going to have all this power. He's like, ugh, I don't want it. She's like, God, you're so spoiled. And he's like, wait, what? And that's exactly the way Char feels about yeah. his kingdom. He, he didn't feel like he knows anything and he was just going to follow what his father thought. But Ella was like, well, you need to think through how you feel about things. See what your people are truly dealing with and make changes that will benefit them. And so she really clears that up for him as well. So that's true. That's a really good parallel between those two. Yeah. And then Prince Char in the book, he's not like that, though. He's... Like, I don't know how many different people are like, no, he's a good guy. He's going to be a great king in the book. Like, he knows what his responsibilities are, and he rises to them in the book. And then in El Enchanted, the movie, he's just like, oh, I don't want this. I'll just get my weird Uncle Edgar to take care of everything, who is Carrie Elwes, and, like, a mustachioed, evil, twirling villain who must have had so much fun playing the role. But also, like, that's my sweet baby boy, Wesley. What are you doing, my man? My man. <laughs> Again, no. he was great in it, and I could watch Carrie was doing anything always. But, my God, that character, Edgar, so <laughs> rough. 
Like, he's wearing black and red constantly. I think he actually does, like, the Mr. Burns, like, steepling of the finger thing at a certain point. He, like, crouches down corridors like a straight-up villain. Like, how did no one put these two together? Literally point me to any figure who has a talking snake or just a snake as a pet and tell me they're not a villain. Hashtag Voldemort. Like, Jesus. (laughs) Like, there's, (laughs) there's a thing that's happening here. I cannot think of a single heroic character that has a snake as a pet. Nope. Let alone one that talks. Another parallel within the book and ever after is that Olive actually tries to be friends with Ella Mm. at some point. In Um, her own bizarre way. Correct. And she doesn't do it for very long because then she starts figuring out that she can order Ella around and then her friendship pretty much turns into what Hattie had with Ella, which is just pure evil. Mm. But in Ever After, Jacqueline is always there for Danielle. She's always caring for her. She's always trying to help Danielle get out of situations that would bring her harm or punishment. And so she's always sort of on Danielle's side. That does seem to be a parallel in a lot of Cinderella retellings. Like, one stepsister is way more evil than the other, and the other one is just sort of being dominated by her more powerful older sister. The younger sister of the two stepsisters is inferior in some way. Yeah. Because in the book, Olive is a terrible student. Like, you see little letters and notes (laughs) from her in the book, and they're all just terrible spelling and grammar. In the movie version, Olive is not as pretty not as motivated and she's sort of that side character that we don't really see a whole lot of and she tries to follow Hattie but fails and then in Ever After of course Jacqueline is so sweet so kind but she's always sort of put down because Marguerite's the better one and the prettier one and the one that's going to be royalty and Jacqueline's just sort of pushed off to the side she's just here for the food correct Which, you know, is sort of endearing in a way because she makes light out of that situation eventually and she's able to use that as an excuse and put her mom down. Also, most relatable ever. I'm always just anywhere for the food. Jacqueline, you have it right. It's interesting because, you know, they did Ever After so well. And then they made it sort of real, sophisticated kind of a retelling of Cinderella. And then the Ella Enchanted movie that could have done almost a similar thing, but for like a younger audience and and with, you know, some addition of magic, they chose to just not and just lean straight up into the camp, which I really don't like. I think they could have done such a better job. And I think making it as, lack of a better word, a farce yeah. for what it could have been and really just butchered the essence of what the book was. It ruined it for me. Oh, and yeah. one of the main things for adaptation, a truly successful one, is being able to bring the theme and the message and the meaning from the book to the adaptation and why the story is as powerful as it was in the book. Like the adaptation needs to be able to reflect that. And Ellen enchanted the movie did not do anything remotely close to what the book was able to capture and portray and bring about for its readers so yeah it it seems like they they missed the mark on a fundamental level it didn't seem that they understood what the book was trying to say and what the book and the story and the narrative was trying to do and they just were like well let's just take the idea of it and do our own thing with it and it just failed Yes, it was disappointing. And however disappointing it was of an adaptation, I still find it a guilty pleasure for myself. But And, and that's, <laughs> uh, that's totally fair. I'm all down for them guilty pleasures. We all have them. Well, thank you for talking with me, Shanley. And I'm glad we got to 
stick ever after in our discussion Heck as well. Yeah. Because that's definitely one of the positive adaptations of the original fairy tale of Cinderella. Yeah. So Ella enchanted the book really aligns well with ever after. And then Ella enchanted the movie fell way short. Well, fully short. Um, thank you for chatting with me. Absolutely. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of words in living color. Thank you to Shane Lee for joining me on today's podcast. Thank you to Doug Maxwell and Media Right Productions for the music in this podcast. And thanks to all of my supporters, without whom this podcast wouldn't be possible. Until next time.